Let's Talk Politics with conservative firebrand Roy Murdoch, who always has a fiery take on trending political topics, whether we agree or not. He's my friend and brother. Uh, and we'll talk in this hour uh, about a, a little bit of everything from election drama to economic turmoil. I am pleased to welcome for the first time in 2024, Roy Murdoch back to this program. Roy, how are you, sir? Uh, Tabas, I'm great. Happy New Year, and thank you for back in stride again. I enjoyed hearing that song from the <laughs> 80s. I remember it from when I was probably in college, and you might remember it from around that time, so thanks for that. Oh, yeah, thanks know, for the memories, as they say. No, no, no. Every day, man, every day. Uh, it's amazing, too, how the response I get to that track. When I started this program, what, two and a half, almost three years ago now, uh, we started this program. I wasn't exactly sure what our theme was going to be, and I actually had some music uh, written, uh, uh, commissioned some music uh, as our theme music, and we played it the first day, I think, second day, Miles, something like that, and it was nice, but uh, that Frankie Beverly piece, and I, I play that in part because my studio and the show, we're nationally syndicated, of course, but we're based in L.A., and that track, that version of Back in Stride, was actually recorded live in L.A. That's a live recording, oh, wow. obviously. It's recorded live oh, in L.A. So it just made, it made sense. I'm live from L.A. Frankie Beverly did it uh -huh. live in L.A. And uh, and um, after being gone for a while, I was happy to be back in stride again. So mm -hmm. it all made sense. And we played it the first second. We played it the first second day two and a half years ago. It stuck. Folk loved it. And so we play it every day. So anyway, uh, there's the backstory that you did not ask for. Mm -hmm. about, yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate about, it. <laughs> yeah, about why we do back in stride uh, every day at the top of this show. That said, uh, pleased to have Dory Murdoch on this program. As you know, I love checking, checking in uh, routinely with my conservative friends, uh, certainly my black conservative friends, to get a sense of how they're processing the world through their lens. My lens, of course, is that one is a, is a lens that is unapologetically progressive. Dory and I don't always see things the same way, but I'm always uh, fascinated by his take uh, and uh, some Sometimes I learn things from this brother. Well, actually, always I learn things from him. Um, so mm -hmm. let, let me jump with this. Let me jump with this uh, to start. While we are uh, having this conversation, literally, uh, Donald Trump uh, today is back in court once again, and it's getting it's getting a little crunk. Uh, I'm reading mm -hmm. now. I'm reading now this first paragraph. Back in court again. Back in. <laughs> I love it. See, he's a conservative, but he's got he's got chops. He's got chops. He got jokes. Uh, he got sense of humor, and that always helps, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So Donald Trump, uh, to, to, to quote Dora Murdoch, is back in court again. Uh, mm -hmm. And today, for the first time in months, he's back in this particular court, this federal appeals court. Uh, and judges in D.C., even as we speak, are expressing with their questioning, DeRoy, according to the AP, deep skepticism that the former president is, in fact, immune from prosecution on charges that he plotted to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The panel of three judges, two of whom were appointed by Biden, uh, also questioned whether they had jurisdiction themselves to consider the appeal at this point in the case raising the prospect that Trump's effort could be dismissed. So uh, court watchers are paying attention to what these judges, of course, this panel is saying, uh, what they're not saying, the questions that they're asking, the skepticism that they are raising. And it is being reported by the AP at this moment that it appears um, that this case may be thrown out, uh, if not because they don't believe that he is, in fact, immune, uh, then because they don't believe they have the jurisdiction at this point in the case um, to to rule on Trump's um, uh, demand, as it were, that this case be thrown out because he is, in fact, immune from prosecution, uh, given that he was the president of the United States. So that that is some news. When we come forward, don't want to get you started right now. I have to cut you off in 40 seconds. When we come forward, we'll start with that and get DeRoy's take. First of all, just on the argument that Donald Trump has made, that he is, in fact, immune from prosecution because he was president. Now, I hope DeRoy 
Like I said, we don't agree on everything, but I hope this brother is not going to tell me that he thinks Donald Trump is immune just because he was president from these high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, but that's what this federal court is being asked to decide right now, whether or not he is immune from prosecution uh, because he was a sitting United States president. So we'll start with that when we come forward with DeRoy Murdoch on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley with our friend and brother DeRoy Murdoch, conservative firebrand in this first hour talking politics. Uh, And the news of the hour, at least, is that Donald Trump is once again in court. Uh, And judges uh, appear to be expressing skepticism that uh, his claims uh, of immunity from prosecution because he was a sitting U.S. president vis-a-vis the happenings of January 6th, uh, an argument they don't appear to be buying at the moment. So let me just start at the outset, DeRoy, with this question, whether or not you believe, in fact, as does Donald Trump, that he is immune from prosecution because he was a sitting president. Uh, yeah, thank you for the question. I think there the two matters here. One is the immunity question, and then something a little more deep in the weeds in terms of the legal process. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the immunity claim that uh, Trump has made, uh, I don't think he or any other president would be uh, immune <clears throat> if, let's say, Trump or any other president walked out of the uh, Oval Office, went over to the Willard Hotel, and just uh, pulled out Newsy and just mowed down everybody in the uh, bar and killed 15, 20 people and said, hey, I'm immune, leave me alone. Uh, that would definitely be acting outside your official duties. But uh, somebody, uh, uh, well, I guess the Trump's lawyers raised this question uh, in court today, which was, could uh, President Obama have been prosecuted for doing a drone strike and killing a member of ISIS or uh, a member of al-Qaeda? Uh, and I think the answer to that would be no, that he's acting in his official duties. He's, he's taking care of what he's supposed to do as commander-in-chief and president of the United States, and for that, he should be immune. Uh, Trump's argument is that his um, all of his activities related to, to the 2020 election were related to the presidential duty of making sure that we have uh, election integrity, we don't have vote fraud, and that our elections are free and fair. And in that connection, he's immune from prosecution. According to what I saw, which is uh, right when I was waiting to get on air with you, a, a uh, press conference that Trump and his attorneys did, uh, one of Trump's attorneys said that the prosecution, Jack Smith, the special counsel, conceded that, yes, Obama would be immune in that situation. And if that's what the prosecution is, has uh, has conceded, then again, the whole idea of the president being immune in his in his official duties uh, would stand. I would think. Um, as far as the process, you were saying earlier, do, do these judges have the uh, authority or the jurisdiction to rule on this case? Uh, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, asked the Supreme Court to rule on an expedited expedited basis on this immunity question. They said, "We're not going to step in now. You need to go back to the appeals court, talk to them, and see what they say." So I think in terms of the legal process, this is going the right way. Uh, if tr- whether Trump wins or loses, I assume that this three-judge panel's decision will be appealed to the entire circuit court. That will take some additional time. Whatever all those, usually it's a, uh, the entire on box it's called. I think all 12 or 15 members of that uh, circuit would sit down and hear the, hear the case collectively. And whatever their decision is then would be um, appealed to the Supreme Court. So my guess is this will just be appealed and appealed until the Supreme Court gets this, then we'll have a definitive answer, which will be very helpful, not just in this instance, but all the way in the future as to what what and when and where any president of the United States is, is immune or not immune mm-hmm. uh, when he's uh, sitting in the Oval Office. I, so I think uh, we won't get a clear answer on this. I think for months, when we do get an answer, I think it will be the definitive answer uh, for the ages. I want to come back to the, to the, to the, to the, uh, the, the, the narrative that you've uh, laid out, and specifically 
uh, the comparison uh, made to Barack Obama, former President Obama, in court uh, today. We'll come back to that in just a second. Let me just start. By, that's a fascinating. That's a fascinating line of uh, of questioning that came up in court today about whether uh, Obama would in fact be immune from killing Osama bin Laden as president. Uh, and the argument um, that you know that was made was that he would was doing his official duty. And Jack Smith, to your point, the prosecutor going after Donald Trump, conceded that argument. That's important. We'll come back to that. Put a pin in that for just a second. Let me just ask you though, as a citizen of these United States, would you, do you believe, uh, it's not a legal question, it's a Dorothy Murdoch question, do you believe that Donald Trump was guilty, or, or is um, is immune, rather, from guilt because what he did uh, happened uh, while he was a sitting U.S. president? You, you know what he did. We've all seen the January 6th hearings. We all know the report. We know the allegations. We know what Jack Smith has alleged. Do you believe, um, if in fact he is guilty of the things that Jack Smith alleged, that he is immune from prosecution because he was a sitting U.S. president. What does the Roy Murdoch think? Yeah, I think he was, and not just as president, but as a citizen of the United States. I mean, what Donald J. Trump did after the November 2020 election was raise serious questions about whether whether we had a free and fair election. And you know, one of the things I think it's beyond debate, beyond dispute, is that because of COVID, a lot of a lot of states said, "Hey, you know, uh, COVID emergency, we're going to change our vote rules. We're going to have more mail-in ballots, drop boxes, this kind of stuff." And uh, if this these decisions were made by state legislatures and signed by governors as perfectly constitutional. If a secretary of state decides to do that, or a mayor decides to do it, or the local election commissioner decides to do it, you know, these people might be well-intended and maybe tr- might be trying to do the right thing. But the Constitution says these elections, election rules have to be decided by state legislatures. We even had in the state of Pennsylvania the secretary of state, whose name is uh, Bukvar, I think it was her name at the time, uh, she made a, a decision uh, it's basically saying that people who voted on their paper, ba- paper ballots, mail-in ballots, but let's say rather than fill in the bubble next to Biden's name or Trump's name, they put an X through it or circled it, uh, that, that you could, quote-unquote, cure that, which means you can call the voter and say, hey, you screwed up your ballot, come in today, fill it up, we'll tear up the old ballot, fill in the current ballot properly, we'll count that. Well, she made that decision on election eve at 8.40 p.m., the night before the election, the night before the polls opened. All on, her, all on her own. This was not the Pennsylvania state legislature debating it and voting on it and sending the governor for signature. You can't do that. You might agree with her decision, but the proper way to do it is to have the state legislature decide. So uh, these people who made these unilateral decisions, maybe because of COVID and they're concerned about germs or whatever, uh, they did it the wrong way. And just on that basis alone, I think it was appropriate for uh, Trump and others to raise questions asking, how can you have people's votes being counted? when the rules were changed literally the night before the election. So I think that's totally legitimate. And this is no different than Maxine Waters getting up on uh, January 6, 2017, and challenging the electoral slates from uh, Alabama, from Wyoming, and saying, uh, we don't think these are legitimate. We're standing up in opposition. She has every right to do that. Maxine Waters did, and Donald J. Trump had every uh, every uh, right to stand up and, and raise questions about what he saw as uh, uh, election impropriety. Uh, you, you said a few things there. That's a mouthful. As always, I don't like to drop my guests. Yeah. I want to give you a chance Big to mouth. make... You, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you know how I do it. I, I let my guests make their case, and then I'll start to interrogate it. So let the interrogation begin okay. right about now. Because there are two or three things you said that I find a, lit, a, a bit uh, uh, curious is being is being kind and, and, and generous to you, to call it curious. Okay, good. Uh, we appreciate I, the I, kindness I, and generosity. I'd call it something <laughs> else if we want on, on family radio right now. About now, that that, that that said, there is absolutely no comparison between Maxine Waters and Donald Trump. Maxine Waters did not call for an overthrow of the government. She did not encourage people to come to the Capitol to do exactly what we saw in January 6th. There's no comparison between Maxine Waters and her statements about what was happening down south uh, and what Donald Trump said and, moreover, what Donald Trump did. That's the first thing. But beyond that, I don't want to waste time debating that. I just don't think that's a, a – I mean, you've made some strong arguments over the course of our friendship and relationship and, and conversations on radio. I just don't think that is 
is a great comparison, not a great argument. Uh, put it another way, that ain't your best work, my friend. That said, <laughs> that said, you, do, do you really believe that what Donald Trump said and did on January 6th, we've all, again, I don't need to rehash. We've all seen the hearings. We've seen the report. We know what Jack Smith is alleging in, in his prosecution. Do you believe that Donald Trump's true intent that day, DeRoy, was really about getting to the bottom of questions about a free and fair election process? I mean, everything he said on the record, what his, what his team has said that uh, about that day, what happened in the White House, and I mean, again, all the stuff that we know, you truly believe in your heart that what Donald Trump was after that day was a free and fair election? I do. I mean, remember, when he gave his speech, he said towards the end, as I think most people are aware, uh, as I know many of you will go to the U.S. Capitol and, and protest, but let your voices be heard peacefully and patriotically. He didn't say kick in the doors, break the windows, you know, go hang uh, Nancy Pelosi or hang Mike Pence. He said, go, go proceed peacefully and patriotically. At the same exact time, people were breaking through the windows, which I condemned on air. I was on radio at the time. I said, this is terrible. Get out of the Capitol. You stop this. This is not the way to do this. Uh, Andy Biggs of Arizona was on the House floor debating uh, the, uh, er the electoral uh, college votes from Arizona, and he had a stack about six inches tall of voter registration forms that were sent in after the deadline. And he said, look, the deadline is, I don't remember, October 15, October 20, whatever. And these came in afterwards and shouldn't have been, these people shouldn't have voted because they missed the deadline. That's too bad for them, but, you know, they, those are the rules. And he was holding up the stack of ballots and saying these people shouldn't have voted. Right at that time, the windows broke, the, 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 the uh, 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 people kicked the doors down, and the whole thing fell to pieces. Why would Trump send somebody, people in to shut down <clears throat> that process where we were getting evidence of, of, the claims that uh, Trump had made. Uh, so I think that uh, he was, in fact, trying to get um, uh, justice, if you will, for an election that he saw as fraudulent. I will say that I wish that he had, once the, uh, the glass started breaking, that he had stepped forward and said, okay, this is wrong, stop. If you think you're doing this on my behalf, you're not. You need to turn around and leave. I think that <clears throat> uh, Trump's uh, biggest, biggest vulnerability that day was not if you will, uh, calling off the dogs, if you want to put it that way, or telling his, pro his supporters, uh, you know, don't do this, turn around and leave. I, I, he did that finally at about, I think, 3 p.m., 4 p.m. He should have done it right at, you know, yep, 4 yep, 5 yep. p.m. But, but, but the whole... But, I, 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 do think he's, I, I do think that's the toughest thing uh, for him to um, have to try to explain or justify. But, As for the rest of it, I think he was uh, standing up for what he thought was right, which was, ha you know, having a clean election, and when you've got questions about it, raise the questions and try to get, uh, try to get, get it uh, settled. But the hole in that argument, DeRoy, is simply this. Uh, to your point that Donald Trump should have said to them, if you think you're doing this on my behalf, you're not. He was the fool. He's the man that called them there. He's the one that, he's the one that tweeted and told them to come to the, to the nation's capital. So to, to your point that he would then say, if you think you're doing this on my behalf, you're not. Leave and go home. This is the guy that invited them there in the first place, DeRoy. Well, I think he invited them to protest peacefully, as you know, as Americans have done for centuries, as MLK most famously did at the Lincoln Memorial. We had the um, Million Man March. I mean, people have protested in front of the U.S. Capitol for hundreds of years, and, and certainly within our memory, you know, the I forget the uh, day uh, Trump was elected or uh, inaugurated. Excuse me. You had the um, Women's March. Uh, the, uh, mm -hmm. the day after he was elected, sure. women wearing the, the, the pink pussycat hats, etc. Uh, thousands and thousands of them, and that's fine. That's perfectly appropriate. So, if the plan is, you know, come listen to Trump speak, and then go to the U.S. Capitol uh, grounds and protest peacefully, uh, that's no different than people have done 
uh, peacefully and, and really with the applause of, of their fellow citizens for centuries. When people went in and kicked the doors down and broke the windows and marched inside, yes, that's wrong. And I've said over and over, the people who broke the windows and, and engaged in that, uh, that breach of the Capitol, they, they, those people ought to be in jail. Um, but I don't. But Trump did not say, "Okay, go attack the place." He said, P- "Proceed peacefully and patriotically." If you want him to tear the place down, I think would have said, "Okay, go in and you know tear up the Capitol and and shut down Congress." He didn't say that. But the but, but the but the evidence but the evidence is clear. We don't, we don't need to again we don't need to re- relitigate this. But the evidence is clear that while all this hell was breaking loose on the Capitol and Donald Trump was fully aware of it, watching it from the White House. He made no attempt, no effort to stop it. He, as president and commander-in-chief, could have stopped that nonsense immediately. They were looking for help that day at the Capitol, and the president did not lift a finger to assist in a, to, to assist or aid them in their effort to protect uh, our U.S. Capitol. So, again, he's the guy that invites them there. He does nothing to stop this mayhem from happening. And I'm, I'm only raising this because, again, I don't want to relitigate this, But and the reason why I have my conservative friends on, even though I am unapologetically progressive, is I want us to know what they're thinking. I want to know what the other side is thinking. That's always, I'm not uh-huh. afraid ever to engage. Sure. Roy's not afraid of me. I, I ain't scared of him. Uh, I, I love to know what the other free. side, exactly. I know what the other side, I want to know what the other side is thinking so I know how to better make my arguments. Here's the problem I have though, DeRoy, that there are too many people um, who are raising arguments like the ones you're raising now. We had a conversation about this the other day on this program about our collective memory and how as time passes on three years after January the 6th, with people starting to frame what happened that day the way you're framing it, it's just not an accurate reflection of the record. I ain't calling you a liar. I'm just saying it's not an accurate reflection of the record. And the farther away you get from January the 6th, this thing ends up being a Boston Tea Party at some point. It was a celebration. It, 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 was, a, it, was, a, it was a party in D.C. That's not what happened that day. And when you continue framing it this way as if Donald Trump was not involved, as if he didn't invite them there, as if he was relishing this moment, as if he did nothing to stop them, as if he wasn't trying to get Secret Service to take him to the hill, he wanted to be a part of this. All of that is a matter of the public record, and this spin that you're putting on it, I think, does a disservice, ultimately, to the truth of what happened three years ago. Well, I think you raise an interesting point, not just in terms of January 6th, but in general, which is, as time goes on, people tend to remember things the way they want to. Right. You may run into a friend from college and says, oh, do you remember you know, back in sophomore year when we did XYZ? And that person really believes it. And you know damn well, he could probably whip out your photo album and show them pictures where, you know, it didn't happen the way you said it happened, actually, mm-hmm. this other way. So we, we tend, as, as uh, uh, intellectual creatures, to remember things the way we want to, especially as we move further away in time. So that's an interesting point you raise. Mm-hmm. But as far as the actual record, and I can send you uh, letters and documents on this, uh, President Trump authorized 10,000 National Guard troops to be on the streets of Washington, D.C. to keep the peace that day. And he said, look, you know, this may get out of control. You're authorized to have 10,000 uh, troops to come in and keep things cool. And Nancy Pelosi and Muriel, Muriel Bowser of D.C. both said, no, no, we don't want that. Uh, we tell the National Guard to stand down. Uh, we don't need them involved. The, the, so so, ja- so January the 6th is Nancy himself. Pelosi and Muriel Bowser's fault? They're, they're, they're to blame for well, January 6th? I, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, if, they had, if they had gone along with what Trump offered, which is 10,000 National Guard people on the, on, on the Capitol grounds, uh, nobody would have been able to get up there and call. They certainly wouldn't have gotten the front doors to kick the doors down. They might have been able to be at the base there, you know, protesting on a stage peacefully. But, uh, you know, why did Nancy Pelosi and, and Muriel Bowser say, no, no, we don't want the National Guard? Trump offered it. said, we want to keep the peace. These folks will keep things calm, kind of like a control rod in a nuclear reactor. I said, no, 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 pull the control rod out. Let 
let let the you know let the thing flow, and it did. And then you had people in the U.S. Capitol, the Capitol Police, calling the National Guard, saying, "Would you please get down here?" They said, "Well, it's going to take a while for us to scramble and get down there." And they eventually did, but it took hours. And they'd been there from you know from sunrise. January 6th would have happened, it would have passed, and you and I would be talking about something else. I really wish that Nancy Pelosi and Muriel Bowser had said, yes, Mr. President, thank you for the offer of 10,000 National Guard troops in D.C. We accept them. This is great. This will keep things calm and peaceful. They said, no, no, we don't want them. Keep your National Guard. I think the term was, these would be bad optics, I think is the term they used. And uh, boom, they were, they, were not in, uh, they were not involved, and you saw it happen. Things went crazy. When we come forward, speaking of things going crazy, I want to ask uh, DeRoy the following. I'm just curious. You, you, you've heard his point of view. You're hearing his point of view uh, about what happened on January the 6th. You have heard him say that he does, in fact, believe that Donald Trump is immune from prosecution because he was a sitting president. We haven't gotten back to the Obama comparison about killing Osama bin Laden. I forgot about that. Trust and believe. We'll come back to that uh, in a moment. But I also want to ask him um, about how he sees Donald Trump running out the clock. Uh, My assumption is, given what DeRoy has already said, that he ain't got a problem with Donald Trump running out the clock and not being held accountable prior to Election Day for what he did in a number of cases, Uh, not just uh, the Jack Smith case, but in in, in Florida, uh, in in, in Atlanta with Fannie Willis, in New York with Letitia James. Um, uh, My sense is that DeRoy is okay with Donald Trump running out the clock. I want to get his take on that. We'll talk about the Obama thing I said a moment ago, that comparison. But I'm really curious to ask DeRoy this. If on January 6th, those had been black folk, if all those folk had been black, would DeRoy be in the frame that he is right now? Talk about that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and DeRoy Murdoch, my conservative firebrand friend, as we talk about politics in this first hour. Um, and I wanted to just, uh, before I move forward, uh, DeRoy Murdoch, go backwards. Uh, I, I went to uh, fact check a few things that you said during um, our conversation earlier that I want to just put on the record here. Uh, this claim that you made that Donald Trump, you know, wanted to bring in National Guard troops and Muriel Bowser, mayor of D.C., and Nancy Pelosi squashed that, that really isn't true. Um, AP and others have done uh, when you Google it, there are a number of sources on this. I, I couldn't do it fast enough in real time, but I wanted you to get your point out, knowing that I'd have time in a moment uh, to look into it. Um, here's the claim. The former President Donald Trump signed an order to deploy 20,000 National Guard troops before his supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, but was stopped uh, by Nancy Pelosi, the House Sergeant at Arms, Mira Bowser, etc., etc. That is the claim. Uh, the AP says that's false. Absolutely false. While Trump was involved in discussions in the days prior to January 6th about the National Guard response, he issued no such order before or during the rioting. And for that matter, Speaker Pelosi does not control National Guard troops. In other words, if the president had said the National Guard is coming and they're on the way, Pelosi and Bowser could not have stopped it anyway. So it um, it's just not true that the president did, in fact, sign that order. And there are a number of sources you can check um, to uh, to um, to. To, uh, to underscore that point, I just wanted to just put that out there uh, when it comes to, to Pelosi um, and, and Republicans who've argued that she did nothing um, uh, that day uh, to stop what was happening herself. That's not true. Uh, there's video. Uh, all this comes out in the January 6th uh, com- uh, committee hearings. We just had Benny Thompson on this program last week, the chair of that committee. In those hearings, um, there's video of Nancy Pelosi on the phone and Steve Scalise, who ran for speaker and lost 
Uh, Mike Johnson, speaker now, Steve Scalise, Scalise is standing right near her while she's on the phone, on videotape, calling for National uh, Guard troops to come in to help them in that particular moment. Again, I'm not trying to relitigate this, but my, my larger point is that the facts are the facts. Uh, and the truth is not what 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 DeRoy or anybody else or I, for that matter, determined it to be. The truth is the truth. These things are objective, not subjective. And again, my larger concern, DeRoy, is that we, as we get farther and farther away from what happened three years ago last Saturday, these stories, these 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 these, these half baked, you know, uh, 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 analogies and, and anecdotes and narratives just aren't consistent with what happened that day. I digress on that for now. Let me move on to the things I said I did want to talk about. Um, number one. Can I just, I just sure, want to sure, give you sure, very briefly. Sure, 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 uh, sure. She said, I'm, I'm quoting from a letter, January 5, 2021. This is on her Twitter feed, and the whole letter is available in, in the Senate uh, report. Uh, and I think there's a DOD report about January 6th, and she writes here, I'm quoting the mayor of D.C., to be clear, the District of Columbia is not requesting other federal law enforcement personnel and discourages any additional deployment without immediate notification to and consultation with MPD, which is Metropolitan Police Department, if such plans are underway. So it's right there. I'm, I'm quoting the mayor of D.C. saying, we don't need any help. We got it. That was the day before January 6th. Am I, am I, am, I'm quoting her directly. No, I got it. Am I, my only response to that would be, again, that she doesn't ultimately control that. In other words, Pelosi, if the president, he's commander-in-chief. Had he said he thought that things are going to get out of control, perhaps, and had called them in, they'd be there End of subject about Muriel Nancy versus Trump. He could have done that. He did not. And that's the only point I was mm-hmm. making. But I, I hear your point about that letter. Um, again, okay. we, don't, we don't have time to relitigate what the commission took mm-hmm. months to do. So we're not going to do that well, part. Yeah. We don't have months today. Exactly. But I do want to focus on a few other things that you've raised. You mentioned Obama. His name came up earlier today in this hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Three judge panel, federal judge panel about whether or not Donald Trump is, in fact, immune from prosecution. Uh, in the Jack Smith case because of uh, his being a sitting president on January the 6th. And Obama's name was raised, and the question was whether or not Obama would be immune um, uh, as president for killing Osama bin Laden. And the the response essentially is, and we know this, that uh, bin Laden was a foreign enemy. And the president, as commander-in-chief, clearly was fulfilling his duty. Now, I have issues with the way they went about that, and I have issues, broadly speaking, about U.S. foreign policy. We'll put a pin in that for the moment or put that to the side for another day. I got issues with with the way we do foreign policy. But in this particular instance, one one could argue that the president was doing his duty as commander-in-chief and uh, and went after Osama bin Laden. Um, I don't know um, how one makes the argument that Donald Trump trying to overthrow democracy. I'm thinking of all the things he said to Mike Pence on the phone that day a number of times as Pence is calling from the, from, from, from the, from the Hill. I, I don't know that the same argument can be made that what Donald Trump was doing that day was in the best interest of our democracy. Um, but if you want to take 30 seconds to try, go for it, DeRoy. Sure thing, absolutely. Well, um, you mentioned the Mike Pence question, and there's been, up, up until recently, uh, quite a bit of ambiguity as to what the pre- vice president could or couldn't do during the electoral electoral college uh, ceremony um, every Janu- January January sixth after every pre- presidential election, uh, and there's some questions whether the the vice president could say, look, you know, uh, there was fraud in Pennsylvania, we don't accept these electoral college votes. Uh, go back in Pennsylvania, go back and you figure out and tell us what was or wasn't uh, legit. Uh, and certainly when you go back, this goes back way, way back to uh, 1876, the Rutherford B. Hayes-Tilden uh, uh, election. That was very close and was decided ultimately by a vote of the House of Representatives. And part of the question there was, what is the vice president supposed to do? And they passed a law at that time to address this. 
because of the um, ambiguities as to what the pre- vice president could or couldn't do, and you had lawyers saying he could step in and, and not accept the ballots, the, the electoral college votes, others saying, yes, he could, no, he couldn't. There was some debate about that. Uh, Congress voted it. Christmas of last year, so just about 13 months ago, uh, they uh, passed legislation to clarify exactly what the role of the vice president was, what he could or couldn't do, what he can or cannot do going forward. And there was some question, some ambiguity about it on January 6th. So Trump saying, look, uh, Mike Pence, I want you to, to uh, reject the ballots from, this, from the states that, uh, that Trump and others considered fraudulent. Um, you know, there was, some, there, there, there was a legal case for that. The, the law was not clear. If the law were very clear and said, no, he can't do that, then that would have been totally inappropriate. As it was, the law was kind of up in the air, and it was not clear what he could or couldn't do. And that, I think, is what uh, Trump was trying to get uh, Mike Pence to do. And by the way, there were states that uh, requested. They'd sent in their Electoral College certificates back in December. And subsequently, when the questions were raised about some of the ways that the election, the, the votes were handled, said, look, we want to, we want our certificate back. We want to dis- debate this and decide you know, what exactly has happened here. And they, those states were told, no, we're not going to give you back your certificates. We're going to accept the certificates you sent in before you said, basically, you know, we want to redo. And, and then they were counted um, in, in, the, in, I think, Pennsylvania's one, a couple others. They were told, no, you're not going to get a chance to do a redo this, recount, whatever. We're going to accept what you sent us in December. So that uh, there's a lot, you know, yeah. there's quite, there are quite a bit of legal question marks about all of that. Um, I will tell you this now. When we come forward, I'll let DeRory respond to it. I, I'm the first to tell you this audience has heard me say this more than once. I am not at all shy about repeating once again game, that if Donald Trump is successful at running out the clock on this case, um, I'm blaming Merrick Garland. You heard Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th Select Committee on this program last week, agree with me. We have to lay the feet, lay the blame at the feet of Merrick Garland for moving so slow. DOJ would have done nothing in this regard, essentially, had Benny Thompson's committee not done the work that they did and jumped out front. And then they shared their information with the Department of Justice, and that's how we end up where we are today with Jack Smith and this whole drama about whether or not Trump is, in fact, immune from these uh, charges because he was a sitting president. Uh, We'll see what the Supreme Court says about that ultimately. But if he's successful at running out this clock, you have to blame Merrick Garland in part, the attorney general, head of DOJ, for moving so slow in the first place. We should have been much further along than we are right now. I'm willing to tell you that. My question for DeRoy when we come forward is whether or not he's willing to admit that Donald Trump is playing a game. He's running out the clock, and he's doing that to avoid accountability. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm throwing Merrick Garland under the bus. He deserves to be under that. But is, is DeRoy willing to say the same thing about his guy? He's running out the clock trying to avoid accountability. And that question I asked a moment ago that we'll get DeRoy's response to. Uh, I'm just curious. If all these folks have been black on January the 6th, what does DeRoy think would have happened then? Does he think we'd be having these conversations right now? Those have been a bunch of Negroes storming the Capitol on January 6th, three years ago. I digress for now. More of the DeRoy Murdoch when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis, Tavis Smiley. Smiley. I think that um, Merrick Garland um, has put Donald Trump in position um, with his legal teams, plural, to be able to run the clock out on many of these cases, if not all of them, uh, it won't happen, of course, in New York with Letitia James. She's already crossed that threshold. But in these other cases, I think that Merrick Garland, uh, in part, uh, certainly the case with Jack Smith, has put Donald Trump and his team, legal team, in position to run out the clock. And if Donald Trump does that successfully between now and Election Day and is uh, capable of winning this election and becoming president once again, uh, we will have Merrick Garland to thank. 
um, for allowing Donald Trump to run out the clock. And I got a real problem with that. I assume, having said that, Roy, you ain't got a problem with Donald Trump running out the clock. Well, let me say this. First of all, we agree on something. I agree with you on the question you raised about Merrick Garland. And I think uh, to degree Donald J. Trump would agree with you. I think if he uh, is, in fact, guilty of all these terrible crimes that Jack Smith and, and Merrick Garland uh, uh, claim he is, they should have started uh, January 21st, right in, when uh, Biden came in, uh, starting the case against him and file it in uh, you know, uh, February or March or, or April of 2021. And uh, you know, either get the guy convicted and either locked up or disqualified from running for office, whatever, or he's acquitted, and then he can go on and you know, do what he's doing now. Uh, the fact that this has been delayed for two years, fairly or unfairly, makes the whole thing look like, okay, let's just tie him up in court so he can't be in New Hampshire and Iowa mm-hmm. in, in January of 2024. It certainly looks that way. I don't know if it is that way or it isn't, but it sure looks like that. And as mm-hmm. you know, with legal things, you want to avoid the appearance of impropriety. So you have sure. the appearance of election interference because this was delayed. So we agree on that. I do think that you're right. Also, uh, you know, Trump is trying to, to delay this and you know run out the clock. But I think if this were a you know, an embezzlement case or a homicide case or kidnapping case or whatever, the defense uh, lawyer would try to delay, delay, delay. I mean, I think that's true in any any case that's, you know, in the courts. And uh, they're taking advantage of, of every opportunity they, that they have legally to appeal questions. They look, you know, we don't think this is fair. We're appealing it. And then you get one decision, the other side appeals, and then Trump appeals and back and forth. And a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, probably will end up in the Supreme Court. So I, I think the, uh, the uh, right to appeal is legitimate. It does have the added political advantage of pushing this further and further back, and it may yeah. push all of this beyond the election. So, I mean, uh, I think it's it's Trump's lawyers doing what they can for their uh, best for their client, which is postpone and delay things as much as possible. Yeah, and I think we'd, 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 we would agree on this point, probably for different reasons. We would agree um, on this as well, and I've said this before on this program, that I think that denying him ballot access is a, is a bad decision. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you beat him fair and square at the polls, but to deny this guy ballot access before he's been found guilty of anything uh, runs up against the notions of fundamental fairness, due process, and presumption of innocence. And I believe that's due for everybody. Uh, even we agree Don- on that completely. Even Absolutely. Donald Trump. I thought we'd agree on that. When we come forward in our mm-hmm. remaining moments with Roy Murdoch, the question is, what would have happened in his mind had these folks been black on January the 6th? We're going to answer to that before we wrap this conversation when we come forward with Roy Murdoch on Tavis Smiling. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Um, DeRoy, I've been waiting now for a few minutes. We just uh, couldn't get to it fast enough. But um, now we're here uh, with three minutes left to go in this hour. Um, what do you think would have happened do you think we'd be having all these conversations? Do you think Merrick Garland would have delayed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, had these uh, these protesters, these vigilantes, uh, these uh, supremacists been black as opposed to white three years ago on January 6th? Well, if they stayed outside the Capitol and kept it peaceful, as, as you saw during the Million, million Man March and other civil rights protests, you know, the thing would have happened, it would have been in the news that night, and we all would have moved on with our lives. Had they broken in and, and kicked down the doors and broken the windows and gone through exactly what we're talking about, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, people would have, uh, prosecutions would have proceeded, and, and that sort of thing would have gone on. Uh, I will say that uh, you had during the George Floyd riots, a lot of riots that were 
not exclusively black, but largely and predominantly black, uh, got very, very violent, as we saw. You know, we had all sorts of uh, police precincts burned to the ground. We had the uh, U.S. courthouse in Portland uh, set on fire repeatedly, not burned to the ground, but yet small fires being set out there. And uh, very few people prosecuted. I mean, the thought was, this is social justice, this is a, a movement for civil rights, etc. And a lot of the folks who were involved in this destruction were not uh, prosecuted. Now, people you had a George Floyd riot type situation, people breaking into the Capitol, and, and had the whole, whole the whole thing proceeded with black faces rather than predominantly white faces. You know, I think you, given the, the high-profile target, if you will, you probably would have had uh, more prosecutions and that sort of thing. But you had a lot of violence take place during the George Floyd riots, for which very few people paid any price whatsoever. Do, do you think that um, that uh, that Merrick Garland would have dragged his feet in the way that he has? Do you think it would have taken a congressional hearing led by somebody other than Benny Thompson uh, to have motivated the Department of Justice to move so so so, so swiftly. Well, I think uh, you got two things here. Uh, as far as the racial element, I, I don't know what impact it would have had if these were again BLM Center. Uh, you know, I, I think there would have been uh, also some delay. I mean, we've seen we saw this is not the U.S. Capitol, but there was an attack on the Interior Department uh, about sometime over the maybe last spring, I think it was last spring, and a bunch of people went and kicked the doors down at the Interior Department and rushed in and, and so on. And, uh, you know, they went about their lives and nothing happened. This happened just about a couple months ago when the whole October 7th uh, Israel-Hamas thing erupted. Uh, a whole bunch of people went to the uh, Democrat National Committee headquarters, uh, surrounded the thing, blocked the doors. There were members of, of Congress inside having a meeting. They couldn't get outside. They shut down the House office buildings. And you know how many people were arrested in that incident? One. One arrest. So there seems to be, you hear people on my side talk about a two-track justice system. It seems if you're on the left side of the spectrum and there's a Democrat uh, administration, they kind of look the other way. And one person arrested when you had the U.S. entire U.S. House buildings locked up because of this, uh, this uh, violent uh, uh, riot, basically, at the DNC, one arrest. Uh, had this been a bunch of Republicans out there, I think you would have seen a lot more arrests than just one. I'm never afraid to reexamine the assumptions that I hold. I'm never afraid to have my inventory of ideas expanded. Uh, and I'm never afraid again to, uh, to be pushed. Um, but in this case, um, DeRoy, you're, you're wrong and I'm right. Uh, even though <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong, I'm right. Even though I, I, I engaged the exercise for an hour. Uh, so don't say, don't, don't say I didn't, and, uh, all jokes aside, I disagree, but that's part of the, that's part of the process. <laughs> all jokes aside, uh, but I enjoyed the hour and I always love checking in, as I said, with my conservative friends, see what they're thinking, how they're process, processing and maybe there's something I can learn. Or sometimes I just get my, uh, my, uh, my, my views just reinforced. Uh, but I thank you to Roy Murdoch. Uh, we will talk soon, my friend, all the best to you. You be well. Enjoy Southern California and have a great year. Thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you saying the same to you. Okay.